Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 77 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, I have Becky and Rachel with me. Hello. Hello. And we are going to be answering a question from a listener, and here it is. I've read in your book that most abuse victims aren't actually codependent, but have similar characteristics from enduring abuse. How do you tell if you actually are codependent, as a counselor has told me, or if it is a symptom of emotional abuse from my husband? I did grow up in an environment where I was responsible for my mom's feelings, so maybe I am codependent. What is the difference and what does that mean for my own recovery? So Rachel, a a definition. Go ahead. Well, I could have asked this question because I was responsible for my mom's feelings growing up too. And codependence is a term that's thrown around pretty casually, I think. And it's not always helpful. I think it's rarely helpful in circumstances that we are talking about uh, because codependence is defined by excessive emotional or psychological reliance on a partner, typically one who requires support because of illness or addiction. So it came out of, um, it it was popular in the 70s and 80s, and the 12-step community adopted it because there was, you know, situations where both, you know, one spouse was reliant on alcohol, but the other spouse was also reliant on alcohol, even though they weren't drinking it, because it helped them take care of the alcoholic. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I think that um, if you would ask, like, just the, the depending on the background of anybody, the word kind of like narcissism, if you asked them what it meant, mm-hmm. you know, they could have come from a background where their dad was an alcoholic. So they'd say, Oh yeah, it's the way my mom was growing up or somebody Mm -hmm. else would say, Oh yeah, you're totally codependent because you really worry about what people think about you. Right. So it's It's such a huge spectrum, right? Yes. I think um, I was reading a list uh, for this podcast of, um, and and I, it's on Natalie's blog about, you know, eight different ways to tell if you're um, codependent. And when I read, first of all, I grew up with a mom who was um, not necessarily uh, diagnosed, but had all of the qualities of bipolar mm-hmm. and um, very abusive and I don't know that I was like the, uh, the scapegoat, not the golden child or the ignored. I was very much the scapegoat. And so I, um, I, I did see in my childhood wanting to always make people happy, but it was more from the, from the vantage point of survival. It wasn't because that's who I was, you know, that's not my, so I think the question is, is codependency, is that like your personality that can't be changed or is that just characteristics of coping with whatever situation you find yourself in. That's so important to distinguish because I think, you know, a lot of times when we hear from counselors, oh, you're just codependent. Actually, what that is, is a way of victim blaming Mm -hmm. as if they love to be treated that way, as if they're attracted to being abused, you know, verbally put down, et cetera. Mm -hmm. 
I, I went to a counselor who um, actually said that to me. Um, mm-hmm. You're actually responsible for his abuse to you because you're codependent. And I tell you, the word codependent for several years after I divorced, oh, it would just make me so angry because not only did I have to be responsible for him for 20 years, then all of a sudden getting out of it, I couldn't even get away from being responsible, you know, when I sought help from counselors. So obviously she was not a good counselor, but um, right. Yeah. So reading this list and I'll I'll read a few of these and how they um, like how I used to be and then what the abuse made me. So one is difficulty making decisions. So when I was 18, I I married at 19. So I'll go back a little bit before that. I left home and became it within six months, a very different person because all of a sudden I could be who I was, right? I didn't have to conform to, well, my mom hit me. Um, what's she going to do this time? I wasn't walking on eggshells. I was living on my own. And I became very, very strong-minded. I made decisions. I didn't have any difficulty. Fast forward 20 years, I'm in a marriage. And at the beginning, I would make a decision. But because of his response whether it was physical abuse at the beginning, but later it was way more of the gaslighting and the the crazy making stuff. It just made me question my decision, my ability to make the decision. Mm -hmm. So then I was, yes, I had difficulties making decisions. And and one of them was getting out of it Mm -hmm. because you're, you know, after so many years, you're so convinced that you're just crazy. Like you're not seeing things for what they are. How can you make decisions, right? Well, right. and and the thing is, is that it's not it's not that you don't have the ability to make decisions. It's just that you're super conscientious and you've got so much pressure coming from other people now, not just your husband, but your religious environment, right. to make a certain kind of decision or to make certain kinds of decisions if they're micro decisions, whether they're micro decisions or macro decisions. And that's what's causing all of the anxiety in you. If you didn't right. have all of that pressure and you really believed that I don't have to make decisions based on what other people think or say, um, but we've been so brain, you know, you're, you're getting these environments and you get so brainwashed to believe that if you turn right or to the left, that you're going to fall off a cliff that, yeah. and you're so, you're petrified. Mm-hmm. So you might be innately a person who, yeah, I am totally confident in my ability to make decisions, but not when you're on a tightrope. And so would you say you girls like, okay, so now we're all out of it, right? For several years. Would you say you have difficulty making decisions? No, no, No. I have no difficulty making decisions. Like I am very clear. And if, and if there is any like question to what the decision should be, nothing like just taking a day to think about it. And then I have a strong decision to make, you know, like, right. So different. Okay. So what about the next one was difficulty identifying your feelings? Mm-hmm. Did either of you go through that when you were married? I did because <laughs> my ex-husband would tell me what I was feeling mm. and it didn't match up with what I knew inside, but I trusted him so much. And I thought he was just this brilliant person <laughs> and he knew, he knew me so well <laughs> that it was just really confusing, but he would, I mean, I do remember it was sort of a joke between us. And I was like, don't tell me how I feel. I know how I feel. And then he'd be like, no, I tell you how I feel because that's how you feel. And I just was like, oh, this is just our little dynamic. No, that was incredibly unhealthy. In mine, um, I was told even by the church, 
um, basically not not this direct, but you know, in a roundabout way, you shouldn't have feelings. Yes. Right. Yeah. So instead of it, I couldn't identify them because I wasn't allowed to recognize them. If that makes sense. Yeah. So yes. I there was about eighteen years I never cried because I I couldn't. That was not allowed. Yeah. Suck it up and do the job or whatever it was. You'd be feeling sorry for yourself and self-pity, which is of the devil if you cried. But you were allowed to have positive feelings like love and sexual desire for your husband. What a wonderful marriage this is. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You weren't allowed to actually live in truth, which is amazing advice coming from a church. Right. Right. Exactly. And you know, the other thing is too, I would always be told that I was angry and I was the the most forgiving. I forgave and forgave and over and over again, but I was told I was angry and bitter. And so you weren't allowed to have feelings like any time that you would say an opinion that was different than their opinion, all of a sudden you were cantank, you were a cantankerous you know, angry B-I-T-C-H. Just right. for expressing a different opinion. Right. And and thinking that you had the right to have a different opinion. That was like, you know, the epitome of rebellion. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you feel today? Like, would you say you have trouble identifying your feelings? Not at all. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting better at it. I Same. still, like, I had buried them so deeply. Um, I, I'm still learning how to get in touch with them and being okay with them. Um, so still healing in that way because these are like habits and they're mm-hmm. like, you have to learn to break the habit, especially if you've been in it for decades. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have to, that this one's probably the hardest one for me. I have to kind of step back, step away. Um, my husband bought me a hammock for my birthday, my good husband. <laughs> and um, I will go lay out in the hammock and just think through, okay, where am I feeling it? Thanks to Natalie and her course, <laughs> where am I feeling it? What am I feeling? Where's the thought coming from? And, and just try to figure it out because I mean, when you, when you go that many years without crying, that mm-hmm. many years without, it's like you're like, you walk around like you're numb, right? right? Oh, the numbness. Yes. Yes. That was, yeah. that was me all the way. Just so numb. Yeah. So your feelings are actually in your body which is kind of interesting. I always thought feelings were in your head. Yeah. They're actually in your body and they come from, and they're, they're, um, they're not, they're like vibrations that come from, they're, they're, they're uh, triggered by your nervous system, which is triggered by brain, your brain synapses. So mm-hmm. the things that you're thinking and the, and, and the things that you're thinking, 95% of what you're thinking is subconscious. So mm-hmm. you don't know even, you might have a feeling wash over you and you don't really know where it's coming from because you're not really conscious of the thoughts that your brain is got, offering, but your brain's usually offering you automatic, you know, loop thoughts that are in a loop. Yeah. Yes. What's been downloaded into your you know, brain as a child and even in your marriage. So I think a really good way of figuring out what you're feeling is, is holding still and breathing and thinking about your body, like getting in touch with what is my body feeling and where am I feeling it? And so even just that would be the first step, not even to know necessarily why am I feeling that or where is that coming from, but just get to know the feeling that's in your body. Just like understand the feeling. Right. And you can't do that when you're in the midst of it. It's just, it's Mm -hmm. literally impossible. 
Mm-hmm. And Natalie, I want to I want to expand on what you just said because um, I think there is a message perpetrated in the church that our bodies are bad mm-hmm. and that we yes. can't trust our bodies and that actually you know we're supposed to be in the spirit and all of that and that is I mean that I don't it's heresy. God says our bodies are good. He created mm-hmm. us fearfully and wonderfully. And we were made the way we were for a reason. And we're called to worship God with every dimension of who we are. And we can do that with our bodies. And by, and by listening to our bodies, by, by being still and, and getting in touch with the spirit through our bodies, I, I just, it's so frustrating when we, you know, there's this idea that your bodies are bad. That was, that was, that came along long, that idea came along a long time after Jesus um, from people who were not in touch with what, you know, the God of the Bible. So we have to get clear on that. Preach. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) I think Nancy Piercy had, this is just a side, Nancy Piercy has a book what is it called? Have you guys heard of it? It's in her book. She talks about, um, I'll look it up and put the link in the show. Now I got to write this down or I'll forget. Um, she talks about that. She talks about the historical, like where that came from, that idea of the body and the spirit being totally separate. And that, yes, it came from, didn't it? It started back with, I mean, as far back as Plato. Yeah. Philosophers. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, then the right. Christian, Christianity started like weaving some of that philosophy into right, their right. religion. Uh, Augustine uh, just greatly admired Plato. And so he took right. his philosophy and intertwined it with the um, interpretation of the Bible. So all the translations were kind of like taking Plato and the original works and meshing them together because, and that's what we do though. I mean, I'm not, I don't think it was right, but we do that too. Don't we translate what we hear through what we believe? Through, through our culture, through our lived yes. experiences, oh, yeah. yes, et cetera. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but, but if you go back, it's same thing. And um, does, isn't that interesting? You can't trust your feelings. You can't trust your body. Can't trust your thought life. <laughs> you are one messed up person. Yes. Right. According to the leave, I know it leaves you feeling so hopeless to ever yes. like to ever be able to pull your life together. And and that would that might uh, be a great uh, place to say. So it's okay to stop going to church for a while. Mm-hmm. It's okay to back up out of the abusive relationship, out of the abusive uh, and toxic spiritual relationship and rethink, okay, who is God? What, what is truth? Because I, I know I couldn't identify my feelings when I still believed all the garbage about don't trust your body. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think that book, Natalie is finding truth, five principles for unmasking atheism, secularism, and other God substitutes by Nancy Piercy. Good job. Is that the one you're thinking? I, I, it's not. I think it's actually oh. an earlier one. That one I've never heard of. I know. That sounds really fascinating. <laughs> I know. Well. Um, but, but you know what? That might be, maybe that, that's a newer book. Of, I'm not sure. That maybe that's a okay. newer book that, um, where she focuses in on just this subject. But hey, we'll just go with that. Okay. Yeah, okay. that book. Okay. Do you want to go back to um, yeah, the, okay, the codependency? No, number three, because I'm so interested to hear what y'all think. Having difficulty communicating in a relationship. 
<laughs> we have to laugh. And the reason I laugh is because, are you kidding? How do you communicate with an abuser? Exactly. Right? <laughs> it's impossible. It's like communicating with a brick wall. So, so yeah, we all, you know, I think of all three of us, we're all remarried. We all had huge communication problems with our other, you know, our, our former husbands do any of us have communication issues with our current husbands? No. Nope. No. <laughs> not at all. And it's and it's and it's not only no communication, it's easy. It's totally yeah. in, in the former marriage, it was like pulling teeth to yeah. try to have a conversation that didn't have word salad or circular mm-hmm. reasoning or exactly. flying monkey stuff coming in. Yeah. Um, yeah. And now yeah. it's just it's kind of simple. Mm-hmm. It is. I don't really know that there, I think we should move on to the next one because that one I think is so self-explanatory. So yeah. yeah, if you're, if you're an abusive relationship and someone says, I mean, I heard this, I heard this over and over again. Every time I would try to get help, they would say, well, you guys have communication problems. My ex-husband used to say, well, we just have communication problems. And I'm like, you think so, but yeah. that's not the problem. The problem is not communication problems. Okay. Because yeah. if you remove the actual problem, no more communication problems. Right. So let's let's dig yeah. in and figure out what the actual problem is. So that doesn't mean that you're codependent just because you have com- communication problems with right. an abusive partner. So the next five on the list to me kind of are are just really two things. Uh, because Natalie, I think you've got a list that is super interesting that has more of the re- maybe the religious bent. But the next one is. Um, valuing the approval of others more than valuing yourself. And this is also, uh, there's another point that says having an unhealthy dependency on relationship, even at your own cost um, and having an exaggerated sense of responsibility for the actions of others. Those to me, those kind of, although they're very distinct, they kind of are meshed together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you can, Okay. So when I think about my childhood, I was, so for four years in middle school and early in late grade school, I was severe. I, I went through severe peer oppression. Okay. Bullying mm-hmm. and physical bullying, emotional bullying, verbal bullying. And you go through something like that and you begin, it really does kind of erode at your sense of identity and who you are. So then of course you're going to, you know, you come out of that and you want to be liked it feel, I got into high school and I had l- tons of friends. I got into college and I was like voted Miss Northwestern in my senior year. I had lots of friends. It was very popular. So I, but still deep inside of me was this tremendous fear that people were not going to like me if I didn't show up the way they wanted me to. And, and it was because of a lot of that bullying, that, that years of bullying during my formative years. But that doesn't mean that I'm a codependent person. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. Exactly. It was the situation. Exactly. It's situational. But, and yet, so, but I I do need to say this though, even so one of my, one of the things where, you know, I talk about going from a caterpillar to a butterfly. One of the things that I simply limped and crawled through life in is being a card holding member of the people pleasers club. That's (laughs) what I was. And I, I'm not anymore. I, there's a lot of people I don't please anymore. And you know what? I still, I still can have Facebook conversations with people that are where they get really nasty and mean and I can just show up and be, um, an adult 
and not be nasty mean to them and just like stick to the points, stick, stay calm and totally feel calm, cool and collected while they completely, you know, get their panties in a wide. And I feel bad for them because they're just like probably, you know, losing sleep and getting so anxiety riddled, but I don't feel that way anymore. I mean, I, okay. Maybe once in a while I might feel that way, but <laughs> for the most part, I don't feel that way anymore. And I'm okay if they unfriend me. I'm okay if they right. call me names because I understand now that it's not about me. If they're, it's actually about them and their, and their issues. And I feel, I can actually feel bad for them that they're yeah. so caught up in having to control the universe that they're, that they're losing relationships. Yeah. I know I wanted to, um, I felt the need for approval. Well, obviously as a child, I wanted it because I wanted to be loved. Right. And then, um, but when I got married, we started going to church and your basic, I was taught, and this was a very fundamentalist type of church, but what I, the undertones of what was being taught led me to believe that there's a level of Christianity, there's a level of commitment, and that's your value. And so you're always doing these things to try to get approval, um, especially when your marriage is a shambles, right? And you're trying to, you know, basically be a good Christian, but being a good Christian doesn't work because your marriage is still crappy. And so I, mine was just, as soon as I got out of all that mess, um, I still think I, I want others to value me. Obviously I do. I think that's a good, I think there's a part of that that's good, right? Because if I didn't care if they valued me, <laughs> I think that would be narcissistic. <laughs> um, but Ooh. but not, not because it's going to make me happy, but because I just want the relationship, you know? I, I yeah. want my good new husband to value me. Mm-hmm. But it's not in the sense of the worry and the anxiety. And I don't, I don't have that. Like if somebody doesn't like me, I'm sorry. In fact, I will tell you a, a quick story. Um, something happened this week and uh, somebody, uh, a competitor sent out an email um, to the clients that I serve and basically in the email said, I'd like to replicate this website. And it was one of my websites. So the guy, so this person's like wanting to copy me, right? In times past, I would have let that fly. I wouldn't have said anything. I just would have, you know, buried myself, right? I sent the guy an email and started a conversation. It was very blunt and very honest. I was kind, but I was very, and so I wasn't, I didn't care about what he thought about me. I just cared about here's the facts and here's the truth. And what you're doing is essentially stealing, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, so anyway, so I showed up. I didn't hide. I showed up. Yeah. You had right. your boundaries and it was okay if he walked away in a big, huge huff. And he did. So that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's other things though that, that um, so, so some women who are especially vulnerable to being targeted by a narcissist, what makes them vulnerable is actually really positive characteristics. Like being a care, like a really caring person, being um, really agreeable, like easygoing, nurturing. Mm-hmm. I identify with that. I think that is my base personality. 
And then I grew up with a mother who, you know, the love was conditional. And so that was what I was primed to like, those were the standards, you know, of that, of love that I was given. And then I, so when that was starting to be shown by my husband, that's what I accepted. But, um, those, those, those positive traits could be, I think, um, misinterpreted by someone who wants to label someone codependent as negative traits, like, oh, you just let people walk all over you, right. et cetera. So you've got to reframe it and, ha- and have true understanding for the roots um, in order to identify what's going on. Exactly. Right. Um, just I'll piggyback off of that because I, and by the way, for those of you who are listening, if you want to know um, those eight codependent uh the de- the eight code what do you call them eight codependent of codependency there you go thank you um, the signs of codependency and you, and if you want to find out about a um, a study that Sandra Brown did that talked about the two the two super personality traits that many abuse victims have you can go to my website the article is called my website is flyingfreenow.com just in case you don't know but the website is called why you're probably not codependent and you've got superpowers instead. And mm-hmm. the date on this is March 9th, 2020. So it was a more recent article. But um, you can read about that. You can find out the two main superpowers that you probably actually have. Hey there. If you're a woman of faith in a confusing and painful marriage, and you want more concentrated, personalized help to deal with what you're experiencing in your life, I want to offer you the Flying Free Sisterhood. The Sisterhood is a comprehensive education and support program designed to help women like you go from crawling to flying. Here's what one of our members has to share about her own healing journey with Flying Free. One of the ladies in my group says she's been doing Flying Free in the Sisterhood for about a year. She's faithfully worked through it. Um, is in the midst of a very ugly and protracted uh, divorce um, with a narcissistic, abusive husband. And she said, um, all of what you said this morning about describing your background of religion and um, growing up in that um, isolated cocoon of religion, um, she has been through. And she said, it's like her eyes are being opened. She can see the blue sky and the sunshine for the first time in her life. And she is learning so much from it. And it was beautiful how she encouraged another woman woman in the group to put in the time and make the investment in herself to do that and know that it's going to take time to unpro reprogram, deprogram, and then reprogram yourself when you come out of a background like that, but that it's so worthwhile because now she can see things. She has discernment and wisdom that she didn't have before because she was too afraid to see things from a different viewpoint. And it just was such a blessing to me. And I wanted to pass that along to you, Natalie, because I knew it would bless you, um, to hear that and it was just beautiful to see how they encouraged each other and um, um, you know left feelings wow I've got tools now in my toolbox 
right. to unpack and and put to use. Okay, so I really want to talk. I found this article, you guys, um, this actually this morning, and it was fascinating to me because she's talking about she's talking about care being a caregiver, which is what I think most of us, if we were in a healthy relationship, and if we were like we would probably be more of a caregiver. But she talks about the difference between a caregiver and a codependent caretaker. And I just want to get your take on some of these things, okay? So mm-hmm. here's, here's what she describes as a codependent caretaker. I'm going to read these 14 things, and then we're going to talk about them. So those of you who are listening, think about if you know anybody like this. Okay. Or maybe like I could see myself in some of these and not now, but the, the person that I was when I actually lived in my abusive relationship, I could see myself going in these directions and, um, and I don't go these directions at all anymore. So I'd I'd like to just explore like why. So here we go. Um, a codependent caretaker sacrifices self is self-righteous about opinions, feels compelled to help, feels responsible for others before self, is judgmental, knows what's best for others, gives with strings attached or with expectations, feels exhausted, irritated, frustrated, anxious, feels annoyed when advice isn't followed, discourages others from independent thinking, is pushy, not assertive, tries to control others, crosses boundaries and gives unsolicited advice. So tell me what you guys think. <laughs> I hate to say it. This was me too, because this was the environment yeah. I was in. Dang. And not that that wasn't my responsibility, my own behavior, but this was, that was the standard for behavior in my former um, family, my former, my ex's family. This is not this, like this picture is not a pretty picture though. And how do you, it's like, okay, so do you ever sit there and go, who am I? Or who was I? <laughs> who when was I? I was, exactly. yeah. it's, it's embarrassing. I, I'm embarrassed about it. That's not well, who I am. I would say this was me after I bought 100% into um, the conservative church movement. This was the, per, the, this was the outcome. What are you taught first? You sacrifice yourself, right? First thing you're taught in church. Yeah. yeah. You're self-righteous about your opinions because your church has taught you what they believe is truth. Everything else is a lie. Mm-hmm. What does that, what does that get? I mean, in reality, no one absolutely knows the truth, right? None of us are God. Mm-hmm. And that means that if we're to love others as ourselves, we're to respect others' opinions, right? Right. Oh, can I just jump in here? Yeah. Because actually this reminds me, um, you know, okay, so right now, at, at the time of this recording, the whole um, George Floyd thing is going on and all the riots, mm-hmm. and, and it's so fascinating on Facebook to see Christians actually be completely and totally divided about this, mm-hmm. and, um, and it's some of them, well, I, I don't want to get into it too much, or I'm going to have everybody unsubscribe, but anyway... <laughs> <laughs> Um, who knows? Maybe I'll get new subscribers. Anyway, um, I think that it's just fascinating to see how people get so, um, so 
bossy and so they do get self-righteous about whatever side they're on and they start condemning and calling the other side names and making it out to be what instead of just like trying to listen to both sides and trying to understand like doing their own research and studying yeah. and being more of a curious or just investigator. understanding that somebody else's perspective is built upon their experiences and you mm-hmm. will never have those experiences or that perspective because exactly. none of our lives will ever match each other. Exactly. And this, this list of, you know, judgmental knows what's best for others. I mean, I don't know about you girls. I wasn't that way until I went into the conservative church movement and, and basically um, Natalie, this was almost that power over structure. If you think yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it and, is. Yeah. And I'm glad I'm not that way. I'm glad I can sit there and listen to somebody else have a completely different opinion. Um, I have a, a new um, employee and um, I'm always fascinated to, to listen, but I, you know what I, and this person has some very, very conservative ideas um, and, and he, he kind of fits this pattern, but in a kind way, if I could say that, you know how we might've been all this, but we, people would probably say, yeah, but you were kind, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just listen and I'm like, that's an interesting perspective. And then I'll give my perspective, but I'll, I'll make sure I'm not trying to push it on them. Just say, yeah, but you know, have you ever thought, oh, one of them, I said, but you know, there's 33,000 denominations in the U S under Christianity. So I'm not sure who has it right. You know, just leaving little things to make this person think, you know, right, right. Yeah. Planting little tiny seeds. Yeah. That's, Cause that's really what it is. It involves thinking like being a thinker rather than being a feet, like being a baby bird that just takes whatever mom brings and shoves down your throat versus actually being a bird that goes out there and searches for your own worms. Right. And when you say that today, I feel like I am truly kind. I, I don't yes. feel like I'm manipulatively kind, if that's a good word. Right. I'm ashamed of being those 14 things for years and years. I remember walking through Walmart and in my mind, I would look at other women and I would have all these judgmental opinions. Yes. Like if their child was misbehaving, well, you don't know how to raise children. Like, right. cause you're not following the biblical principles, raising right. Right. kids God's way or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> and now it's like, oh, I've been there. Oh, yes, I know. I'm like, oh, I wonder if I can help her. <laughs> yes. Right. Can I buy your child a sucker? Would that yes. <laughs> <laughs> But no, isn't it interesting that um, we, we all of the three of us and the women, Natalie, that you so graciously help, um, we can fall into both of these lists. One, because of the religion that's been in our lives and the other because of the abusive relationship in our marriage. And when you put those two lists together, I mean, think about it. Uh, feels compelled to help, but is judgmental, feels exhausted, irritated, frustrated, and anxious, but needs the approval of others. Like it's such a, a cauldron of the worst kind of mess possible. <laughs> right. right. That, that comes from different factors. Yes. You know, not all of them internal sometimes. Well, and that actually, and I, um, I, there is something that I had this, this thought about, like, it really comes down to 
you know, when you're codependent, you're helping someone not take responsibility for themselves versus Mm -hmm. when you're an abuse victim, you keep asking over and over for someone to take responsibility and then you pay the price for it from the abuser. So what happens is you learn that if you want any semblance of peace in your home, you don't rock the boat. You don't ask them to take responsibility because they won't. So you know what? This is, this is it. This is why there is so much confusion. Women come to me and they are, they, they don't know who they are. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they believe. They don't know what they, they're on the one hand, they can see themselves over here. And then on the other hand, they can see themselves over here. So ladies, I'm just curious to know what is, what is the answer and how, what did you guys finally figure out? Um, I'll go first. Um, Oh, good. I thought we were just going to be like, we don't know. No. Thanks <laughs> <laughs> so much for joining us. Fly free. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, no. I, and, and mine was um, getting away from it. So for me, it was divorce. It was leaving church. It was time. It was being able, unfortunately, um, I had to shed most of what I believed as a Christian from the religion of Christianity, right? Um, in order to become a, a much healthier person where, you know, what's missing from all of this is common sense. So common sense didn't come back into my life until I got away from toxic. And, and I'm not saying I'm anti-Christian or anti-church. What I'm saying is if you're in these very conservative fundamental movements and, 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 there's still not, I think, some unhealthy things taught at just a traditional church. Um, but, you know, no one's got it right. Again, 33,000 denominations. But for me, in the depths of how much I believed, how brainwashed I was, it was getting away and having the time to process. And I will tell you, for, and it's been five years, and it, the first couple of years, it was like epiphany after epiphany after epiphany of, oh my gosh, I can't believe I believe that. Oh my goodness, I can't believe I believe that. Um, so that was for me, that that was the solution. And I don't think it was something I needed to like go and change about myself. I think I needed time for common sense to come back to the surface, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. So Rebecca, same for me. I needed to stop trying to find the answer in the same way I had for 14 years, which was, it's my fault. This is, this is under my control and actually start seeing the situation for what it was. Oh, my husband is actually not who I thought he was. Um, Oh, he actually probably has, you know, is pretty high on the narcissistic spectrum. Um, Just my analysis of, of the patterns of behavior that I saw over time. Um, Actually, there's nothing I could have done. To, um, to, to get him to not behave that way because I, I tried over and over and over again. And, um, you know, obviously I had a role to play in that, but that's not helpful when I, when I was trying to get out. I, w- I needed to see things for what they were. And if you're a victim of something, sure, you're not sinless. You don't, you're not a perfect person, but it's not helpful to start thinking I could have done something different. I should have known you know, this was, this was my responsibility. No, you got conned. You married someone who misrepresented who he was and coming to terms with that is really hard, but it's also really freeing Mm -hmm. and it's important to do that. And that's why I don't think that reading about, you know, being codependent is helpful or 
you know, trying to take that on as a label for yourself. And even if a counselor says that that's what you are, the counselor probably doesn't know what they're talking about. If you aren't a victim, you know, a victim of narcissistic abuse, they, they might not understand those, the difference in those dynamics. And, and how many counselors actually could put the two pieces together, uh, a narcissistic husband and a toxic religious belief system exactly that create mm-hmm. this, just the dynamic that is, is almost inescapable. Exactly. Mm-hmm. This is definitely, it is. Uh, it's definitely a, a niche. niche? Yes. Mm-hmm. How do you say that word? Just curious. Niche. Niche. It's definitely a, a neat, it's definitely a niche. And <laughs> <laughs> that's so niche. So I think what you guys are saying is that I'm going to say it the way that I, that I, that I teach people in the flying high group. We all, well, I actually talk about this a lot, but we, we have this universe in our brains between our, our, our brain is our universe. Okay. It's between our ears, this universe and I think when you're in a narcissistic relationship or you're in a relationship with an abusive person, you become, or even when you were growing up, really, you were kind of sharing your universe between your ears with your mom and dad's universes, all right? Mm-hmm. With your siblings' universes. And you don't differentiate yourself and you gradually grow up and part of your development is differentiating your universe from their universe, your experiences. That's why, you know, um, like my sisters and I, we have a different experience of childhood. It's because we have our own universe. So I was told for so many years, you know, your experience isn't true. It never happened that way because it didn't happen to me that way. Mm-hmm. And, and I always thought, man, I am, I must be like totally crazy because I, I could have sworn I experienced it that way, you know? Yeah. And then I had to realize we all have our, this goes back to the whole, you know, the debates you can have on Facebook. We have our own experience. So the way to figure all of this stuff out is to figure out who you are, who you are in your universe. Because really, God, when God gave you your universe, he, he gave it to you and he wanted you to take stewardship of it. He wanted you to nurture it. He wanted you to make it a good place for you to grow healthy and strong so that you could be a giver of unconditional love in your world so that you could be creative so that you could be like, there would be this overflow of healthy, beautiful stuff coming out of your universe. The problem is that when you're sharing, when you start to, I'm picturing like two cells coming together and like morphing into each other. When you, when your universe starts doing that with your abusive partner or, or maybe you're still enmeshed with your mother or your dad or someone else in your life, you no longer are differentiated. And now that's when the pathology starts coming in. And that's when you start behaving in ways that are not true to your core identity. And that's why you start wondering, who am I? I don't even know who I am. So the key is like you were, you guys were saying to separate, to stop enmeshing yourself with your religious environment, stop enmeshing yourself with your partner. I mean, even your healthy partner, you know, we don't, we don't want to become, we don't want their world to be our world and our world to be their world. We want to have two separate worlds that come together and enjoy each other. That's out of my world spills this unconditional love and enjoyment of you and out of your world. And then we share all of that good stuff with each other, but we still have our own identity. We still, my husband and I um, have different ideas about lots of different things and, and it's totally okay because we respect each other's different ideas. 
we don't have to agree on everything. We don't have mm-hmm. to buy into each other's universes. And we totally agree that your universe is beautiful just the way it is. My universe is beautiful. So it's really, it's a lot of self-care. A lot Now, Christians will say, well, that's so selfish. You shouldn't even be thinking about your universe. Well, and they, they I would say um, one of the big misconceptions is you have to become one. And becoming one means you have to lose your identity, you know, as yourself. So some women might be listening to this and going, no, 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 we have to be one. I, I think there's a whole nother podcast on that idea, but um, no, you need to be yourself. Right. Well, and you can, it being one flesh is, I don't, you know, is that really even what that means is that you become morphed into another person? I don't think that's what God is saying. Cause think about we are supposed to be one with Christ too. But if we were to be one with Christ and if we were to have an identity like he had, we would definitely be uh, be able to stand alone without being, I mean, was he ever morphed into anybody else's identity? Did it affect him when people called him names and tried to push him over the cliff and kill him? Did he like, oh no, you know, crumple up into a heap on the ground and freak out because everyone hated his guts? No, no. (laughs) It's so, that's so interesting too, because the discussion of one flesh is about how you don't mistreat your own flesh. So don't mistreat your wife. (laughs) Right. Right. The irony. (laughs) Right. Yes. (laughs) Well, I do think, oh, go ahead. I was going to say at the end of the day, um, there are many labels out there and we always feel more comfortable when we can put a label on it. But be careful about the labels because you can get caught into a new system of feeling responsible for things that aren't really there. Those, those things are there because of the situations, right? So mm-hmm. remove yourself from the situation if you can, and just don't worry about labels. Worry mm-hmm. about becoming yourself who God created yes. you to be. Live out the self-control of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. That is what we are called to do. That's what, that's what is evidence of the Spirit's influence in our life, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I can, I can hear the angels singing right now. <laughs> we, we're going clo- to close with that. The angels are singing, so we're going to close. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Flying Free. And for the rest of you who are listening, until next time, fly free. Fly free.